Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Chapter 5. The Orphans. Another neighbor was the local orphanage. The orphans were a terrific bunch of kids, looked after by the chief kid and oldest orphan, Ming. Orphan was not entirely accurate, as the thirty or so kids had all been abandoned. Most were aged around six to thirteen. The local neighbourhood was very involved in caring for them. They attended the local school, but they were bereft of most things kids elsewhere take for granted. They possessed no furniture, no beds or blankets, just mats, some plastic chairs, and certainly no toys or other items for amusement. They did have an old TV with a spoon wedged in the dial, for watching VTV programming of Russian animations, Korean soap operas and reruns of Hanna-Barbera cartoons that were older than me. Their building towered slightly over the bookshop and provided great amusement where they lobbed stones from their roof to mine with a resultant bang. The accumulating rocks found their way into my drain pipes and caused no end of grief with resultant leaks and mould. The landlady wasn't remotely interested in this until I eventually got her up onto the roof to collect the projectiles, a large number of which were brassieres thrown by the boys as a joke from their clothesline above onto my roof. She scurried down the stairs into the bookshop, clutching handfuls of training bras. Having leapt to more sordid conclusions, she shot next door and gave them an earful. Better them than me, I figured, even if they were orphans. The bright blue PVC drainage pipe between our buildings consisted of more than 37 elbows and was unimaginably constipated. I can only assume elbows must have been cheap or possibly free when the building was constructed ten years earlier. The fake plumber arrived and I supplied him with a hacksaw and a stiff piece of wire. Innumerable rocks, thousands of bits of plastic a belt buckle and hundreds of pork bones gave out a long groan before erupting from the muck-filled pipes, all of which had been the cause of great hilarity, but not by me, when landing, boom, on my tin roof. At least after this I was able to reclaim one room from the mould that had engulfed it. I enlisted one of the neighbours to gather information on the ages and numbers of the orphans, as I thought I would buy them each a gift for Moon Day. Moon Day is the Vietnamese equivalent of Christmas. The manager of the orphanage received a stipend from the local ward, but was a wannabe Fagan who thankfully wasn't around a great deal. In my newly arrived status and still PC attitude, I decided that I should buy each kid a gift. Something new, something they'd like, something they could choose, and definitely something I could give them directly so as to cut the manager out of the picture to stop him from selling my gifts at the local market. I was naively PC, but I wasn't stupid. What on earth do Vietnamese kids like? I discussed with a passing neighbour. After heavy contemplation, 
she suggested I could buy each of them a grapefruit. Somehow I thought I could come up with a better idea and decided baseball caps might be more appreciated. I set off to buy 40 caps from the city market. The kids dropped by that evening after their dinner and one by one they nervously trooped into the foreigner bookshop. I had put the caps on tables and put up a set of mirrors in the back room. They were thrilled to bits, choosing the best caps, checking each other out, caps backwards, forwards. The mirrors were a big hit. They didn't have any. A couple of days later was the actual moon day, and Mr Tang, seven years old, Mr Bing, six years old, and his sister Miss Tuyet, five years old, came into the bookshop to show me their special moon day outfits. This comprised a nicely ironed and laundered blue shirt and pants for the boys and a similar shirt and skirt for Tuyette. I told them how beautiful they looked and they asked if they could use the mirror, again acknowledging talking to a foreigner was not the real attraction. After their mutual admiration ended, we had a bit more of a conversation. All the orphans were heading to Huan Kiam Lake to do some special folk dancing. A minibus was arriving shortly to pick them up. We bade our farewells and I wished them luck. As they all turned to leave, I saw embroidered in French in large letters on the back of their shirts was Enfant sans mère, number one, number two. Orphan number one, number two. As if being an orphan wasn't bad enough. The orphanage manager made the kids wear these outfits when scrounging for donations. I headed outside where I saw that all of the kids were wearing the same uniform. Some had even been dressed in ethnic minority costumes when clearly they were less of an ethnic minority than me. The minibus had arrived and they were having some trouble stuffing a large Enfant sans mer sign inside. What a way to celebrate! None of my neighbours were bothered in the least by this train of events. I was horrified, but I soon toughened up. All of my friends have gone. I'm so sad. I'm so blue. I'm orphan 22. The orphans provided no end of entertainment. The younger ones would come in towards closing time and read the kids' books. We would have extended conversations so I could practice my Vietnamese. Once, when returning home in the wee hours, a motorcycle taxi, Sa Om, deposited me outside the bookshop. Parked on the pavement against my door was an old SUV. There was barely any room to squeeze through to unlock my safety gate and door. What on earth? I growled when an orphan popped up in the driver's seat, followed by another orphan in the passenger side. Five more peered through from the back. All had perked up, waved and called in Vietnamese, Xin chào Chi Marie. Even for here, this is weird, I thought. I briefly tried to figure out why there was a huge car when there had been no car before. Some neighbour, I guessed, had bought a vehicle, still more or less a rarity in Hanoi, and realised too late that he had no parking space or garage, and instead hired the orphans to be inbuilt security. The innovative devils had even rigged an electric fan, a cable trailed from the orphanage into the back seat. Over the next couple of days, I noticed the car was still hanging around. To my shock, I witnessed Ming, the chief orphan in the driver's seat, kangarooing up the street. It transpired someone had donated the car to the orphanage. 
Like clowns in a Fiat Micro, almost 30 were able to jam into the vehicle and scoot, jump and lurch around town, with Ming underage and undersize at the controls. But mostly he acted as personal chauffeur for the oily manager. At night, the boys loved sleeping in the car. It was obviously a sought-after placement. They would play the radio, run the wipers, lights and everything else till the battery went flat and get a jump the next day. And if not, just push it away from my doorway. Weeks went by. Ming had by now run over all my pot plants and I was fed up listening to the squeal of the loose alternator belt. One morning, I loaned my toolbox. By mid-afternoon, the orphans had, bit by bit, dismantled the whole SUV. The screeching alternator persisted. I left my office, strode from the bookshop, swept them aside, grabbed a spanner, and to their absolute astonishment, tightened the belt. I left them to reattach the wheels, doors, windows, and everything else to its rightful position. I sensed they were well on their way to becoming budding eight-year-old master mechanics. Eventually, when I left Vietnam, I donated my toolbox, drill, and cheap Chinese bits and pieces to them. They've probably disassembled the whole town by now. I was invited to a function at one of the new five-star hotels and was welcomed by name in English by the handsome young doorman, decked out in traditional flowing Vietnamese attire. I had to do a double take. It was Lam, the previous head orphan. He'd learnt English, finished an economics degree and landed a starter job as a doorman at a swanky hotel. The guests could only begin to imagine his humble beginnings. He must have been similarly stunned at the opulence of how the other half lives. Various customers were happy to help the kids. A bookbinder from Adelaide brought a huge stack of pens, papers and colouring books and delivered them from next door for this foreigner thing called Christmas. A blitzkrieg up their stairs outwitting the manager. Someone else arrived with cakes and treats and in similar fashion slid in and out before the manager could react. Santa also made a few sordid and often semi-drunk appearances adding to the confusion, but with gifts in hand, so all was forgiven. Keeping the manager separated from donations required constant vigilance. Once or twice during wedding season, one of the former orphans would begin their married life with a reception at the orphanage. Double happiness symbols would be plastered on nearby buildings and walls a few days earlier to expel the ghosts and signal the impending arrival of the happy couple. The orphans scrubbed themselves, and the building, from top to bottom. Food would be delivered, a karaoke machine set up, all in readiness for their brother's or sister's wedding. Weddings in Hanoi are different to Western or Christian services. The ritual is more centred around the engagement. The groom and his entourage arrive at the bride's house, carrying an odd number of round, red lacquer boxes shrouded in lucky red fabric. Inside are gifts for the girl's family that might include rice, cigarettes, rice wine and some betel nut for grandma to encourage the family to hand over their daughter. Privately, of course, this had already been settled when the astrologer confirmed their mystical animals were compatible and the couple's birth dates confided a successful match. All being well the astrologer would identify the most auspicious day for the wedding, generally a month or two ahead. A huge reception is organised. 
hundreds of guests and mountains of food. Gifts are provided in cash in order to pay for the event and if the couple has been cagey enough to make a nice profit. Weddings are at unlikely hours set by the astrologer. 10am on a Tuesday? No problem. Hundreds of guests show up at the reception and gobble their way through groaning tables of food, then race back to work. It can all be over in an hour. Throughout the wedding season, happy couples dash from the reception to jostle with hordes of other newlyweds for glamorous photo shoots around the opera house or beside Chukback Lake. A foreign friend concerned that his bride was too young, or, more probably, that he was too old, lied to his future mother-in-law about his age. In reality, much closer to the mother's, he trimmed off ten years. The astrologer thought the match perfect, and all went ahead as scheduled. They are very happy, but does he ever wonder about that perfect rooster guy with the right birthday? Although things are usually different these days, after the wedding, the bride traditionally goes to live with the husband's extended family. On the first day, when the new wife arrives at the family home, the mother-in-law should keep a low profile. In fact, she should hide herself away. If the family has a small home or lives in an apartment, mother-in-law can hide incognito under a hat, pretending she's not there and ignoring all that's going on. By evening, she and the ancestors should have accepted there's a new woman in the family. Mother-in-law can cast off her hat and, ta-da, magically appear seated on the sofa. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 